0: You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. Open your Bibles. Where would you think I would ask you to open your Bibles? Wrong. I want you to open your Bibles to. Wait for it. The Maps. Open your Bible to the maps. I'm serious. Get your Bible. Have you ever wondered what those were there for? Those were there for this sermon. You're going to preach from the maps? Yes. Once you find the maps, then you can open to Joshua chapter 21. I'll meet you there in just a moment. Hey, the title of the message today is How to Prevent Civil War. Do you remember back to your 10th grade high school history class when you studied the Civil War? Now, if you were raised in the South, if you were educated in the South, you were not taught about the Civil War. You were taught about the War of Northern Aggression. There's a Southerner, right? The South will rise, right? Back there waving a rebel flag, yeah. I mean even today civil war is about to break out even in here as we talk about north and south and loyalties to different things Well, this is what we want to see from the message today And and as we've been tracking through joshua There's one overarching theme that we've learned is that god has some territory that he wants us to take He's promised a place for us, but we have to fight for it and so the direction of the christian life is onward if you're not moving onward there's a problem and so the lesson of joshua is there's always more ground to take there's a place of rest that god wants you to abide in but you have to fight for it and so we're going to see that but here's the overarching truth of the message today victorious people lose everything when we fight among ourselves Think about all the ground that we have seen taken by Joshua and Israel. They crossed over Jordan. They've been involved in all these different battles. Their their battle record is like 37 and 1. They had that one little defeat with AI. But but other than that, they've been taking ground. They've been conquering enemies. And we come to chapter 22, and we're going to fight. We're going to find out that there was a temptation when every other enemy had been defeated to turn on themselves. And when victorious people turn on themselves, they lose everything that they have previously fought for. So did you find the maps? Did anybody find a map that looks like this? That is ancient Israel in the time of Joshua. And you you remember God wanted them to cross over the Jordan River. The most prominent feature on this map is the Jordan River. If you can see it, it's kind of the line that runs vertically it flows from the Sea of Galilee in the north, and the water flows to the south and ends up in the Dead Sea. That Jordan River was a very important geographical feature in the book of Joshua. We've referred to it many times here, but what we're going to find out today is that that actually posed a danger. Now, as we set this up, let me explain to you. There were 12 tribes of Israel. See? All the different tribes on the map now the reason I had you turn to your maps is because for some of you if you've been tracking along this is the 13th message in the book of Joshua and the last message that we looked at was actually in Joshua chapter 14 that was the last time we were together I've asked you to open to chapter 21 you should be asking the question what happened in the seven chapters that we skipped that happened That's all that happened. If you read those seven chapters, it's just land distribution It looks like a title deed at the county courthouse It's this tribe went there and they took that and this tribe went over there and it gives us a bunch of lists of names It's easier just to show you a map. That's what happened in those seven chapters. And now it's important to understand There were 12 tribes of Israel. How many tribes were there in Israel? very good nine and a half of those tribes took possession of land on the western side of the Jordan River. Two and a half tribes took possession of land on the eastern side of the Jordan River. I don't know what the deal was with Manasseh. They kind of had the attitude of Texas. They just thought they got it all. Okay, so they got land on both sides. They just thought we're just kind of entitled. Anyway, um, you you see the map here. Now, as we begin to read, we're going to find out that Joshua was concerned about that particular division of land, okay? So we're going to walk through this here. Now you can turn back to Joshua chapter 21. Here's the first thing that we're going to see. Chapter 21, verses 43 through 45, peace is precious. Enjoy it. Let's read here. Joshua 21, beginning in verse 43. Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it, and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. If you were paying attention, we read the word all five times. Do you know what we learned from this? Is that God keeps all of his promises. All in favor of God keeping promises he's made? Yeah. But here's the truth of Scripture. God keeps all of his promises, but I must take possession of all that God has promised Do you get it there's a promise and there's a fight to take possession of what God has promised and so it's this divine human cooperative that we see in scripture and notice there is no rest there is no peace without a fight the lesson of the book of Joshua is that there is a war for peace and even in our own hearts we have to fight for, to believe the good promises that God has made to us but it's okay to enjoy it we finally come to the end of chapter 21 after all the war after all the fighting after all the bloodshed there were no more enemies to fight the tribes took possession of that which God had promised you say okay enough about ancient Israel what does this have to do with me good question do you know that there are certain tribes in this room right now? There are tribes. And there are tribes that occupy one land. Let me, let me just kind of illustrate this. I'm looking down here on the front row, and I just cannot get over the fact that Bryce and Jordan are sitting here on the front row. Now, Bryce and Jordan have been sitting here on the front row in the 9 o'clock service for about a year, and I've watched them. You, Bryce used to sit over there, and Jordan used to sit over there. Now, they're just sitting down here. and um, And... When were you guys married? Uh, three weeks ago. Three weeks ago. All in favor of Bryson and Jordan going for another three weeks? Raise your hand. Okay, good. You're going to make it? Great. What has happened is two tribes have come together, from the Chapman tribe and the Helmuth tribe, to form one marriage. But how many of those of you who have been married longer? You just plug your ears right now. You've been l- married longer than three weeks have at times found that the two tribes can actually start fighting against one another when they should be locking arms and setting their crosshairs on a common enemy that opposes them and fight for each other rather than against each other. You see, the tribe of the husbands, sometimes declares war on the tribes of the wives. And victorious people lose everything when we begin to fight with one another. We're here. We're all Americans. Some of you may be illegal, but welcome to America. We, you know, we're, all, we're Americans. And yet what happens? One nation under God can at times become polarized. Polarized. And those that would be of the tribe of the Republicans declare war on the tribe of the Democrats. Sometimes the Republicans declare war on other Republicans. And, and that's. Have you noticed that we begin to fight with one another? And churches are made up of all kinds of different tribes. People that come from very conservative backgrounds or very progressive backgrounds. Some of you are of the older tribe. Sometimes. You declare war on those of the younger tribe, and the greatest threat to God's people is often God's people. We begin to fight among ourselves rather than fighting together to defeat a common enemy. All kinds of tribes declaring war on one another. The tribe of Captain America declaring war on the tribe of iron men you get civil wars just everywhere if we're not careful we will un- we will not identify the true enemy but when a people understand that there is a promised peace for us to enjoy we've got to protect it and that's really the second thing we're going to learn here the heart is vulnerable we must protect it look here in chapter 22 we're going to work through this chapter as well look at verse 1 Here's what happened. By the way, you would expect, after all the nice, wonderful verses we just read at the end of chapter 21, you would just kind of expect the book of Joshua to end there. That would be a nice way to end the book, right? They took possession of all that God had promised. That's just wonderful. Let's just stop right there. But there's a chapter 22. Verse 1, at that time, Joshua summoned the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Now, those three tribes were the tribes that had taken possession on the eastern side of the Jordan. Watch what happened. Verse 2, and he said to them, you have kept all that that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you and have obeyed my voice in all that I have commanded you. You have not forsaken your brothers these many days down to this day, but have been careful. Underline those two words in verse 3. You have been careful to keep the charge of the Lord your God. Let me tell you what, was, what, what, what Joshua was identifying. Joshua was honoring these two and a half tribes. Seven years prior to this event, All 12 tribes were commanded to cross over Jordan to the western side and defeat all the enemies that dwelled on the other side of Jordan. But the two and a half tribes who had land on the eastern side had to cross over and fight for land that they actually would never possess. They went over and fought for their neighboring tribes. It was an incredible act of love and sacrifice and loyalty and unity. And Joshua is acknowledging it. You have been careful. You have been so faithful. And then he says this in verse 4. He says, And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers as he promised them. Therefore, turn and go to your tents in the land where your possession lies, which Moses the servant of the Lord gave on the other side of Jordan. And so he's honoring them. You know what? In a church, in a marriage, in a family, in a nation, there are times that you must fight for your neighbors often at great risk. If you're a mother here today, you know there's times you have to fight for your children when they're not even willing to fight. If you're a wife, you have to fight for your marriage. If you are a citizen of America, you have to fight for your country, often when others in the country are trying to tear it down. But most importantly to us, We must fight for the unity in this church. We must fight for the glory of God, and I see it happen all the time. Those of you that occasionally throw into the offering, do you know what that's signifying? I'm in this fight. I'm going to fund the ministries around here, even for some of the people that don't ever throw in. You're fighting for territory, spiritual territory, in the lives of other people. Those of you that pray for other people in this church to take their next step onward in faith toward the Lord, you're fighting a battle in prayer for people. Those of you that come and hold babies that don't belong to you, you know what you're doing? You're fighting for the families in this church that need their children to be discipled by the Lord. Those of you that serve in student ministry, those of you that park cars and open doors, everybody comes together to fight for some territory that you might not actually even occupy. That's what the two and a half tribes that dwelled on the eastern side of Jordan did for the nine and a half tribes that would dwell on the western side of Jordan. It's a great example to us that we're to fight for one another. But then I want you to notice verse 5. This is Joshua. Now, if you have a godly mother, how many of you have a godly mother? If you have a godly mother, you have echoing in your ear the voice of your mother saying something like, this. Only be very careful. How many of you hear that voice right now? You can hear your mother's voice saying that. This is Joshua speaking to these two and a half tribes who are now going off to possess land. Do you remember this when you went off to college? Do you remember this when you got your driver's license and you're your your mother recognizes that she's not going to be there to hold your hand or to pay your bills or to box your ears. That's what my mom used to say when you stepped out of line, right? And so Joshua is giving them a warning. It goes like this, only be very careful. Verse three, he said, you have been very careful. Verse five, looking forward, be very careful. To observe the commandment of the law of Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded to you to love the Lord your God and to walk in His ways and to keep His commandments and to cling to Him and serve Him with all your heart and all your soul. Do you hear the voice of a godly mother in those statements? Right. What is Joshua pleading for? Joshua is pleading for them to be as Passionate about loving God as they were when they were closer to the source of truth. Joshua recognized that with geographical distance there is a propensity for theological drift. And there was going to be this geographical boundary, a water feature, the Jordan River, that was going to, in a sense, divide the two and a half tribes from the nine and a half tribes. And Joshua understands with geographical distance, there is a propensity to theological drift. And so he gives them these six warnings. The first thing he says is observe the commandments. Do you know what he's saying? Read the book. God has spoken. He has Entered into time and space to tell us what we are to do with his lives. Allow the words, the commandments of God to define what you believe and to determine how you behave. Get your eyes on the book. Observe the commandment. Then he tells them, don't just observe them, but he says, you are to love the Lord your God. Some of you are so faithful, you come to church, it's your exercise, you know you're supposed to be in church, so you come and you're so faithful and you throw in the offering and you serve and you go through the motions of religion. Can I I ask you a question? Do you love the Lord? It's not just about packing information in your head, it is to ignite a love for God. Do you love Jesus? not just give passive approval to him, but to love him with all your heart. And then he says, not just loving God, but walking in his ways. Do you know the difference between the ways of God and the acts of God? Not just what God does, but why he does those things. That your heart is to walk in his ways and whatever his ways are, that's the ways that I want to walk in. And then he says, keep his commandments. Again, don't just know something, but do something. Let the guardrails of his commandments govern the direction of your life. And then he says, I love this, cling to him. Joshua recognizes there are going to be forces on the other side of the Jordan River that are going to attempt to pull you away from God. Cling to God, no matter how much force is put upon you to let go. No matter what, never let go of the Lord. And then finally, he says, serve him. Notice, with all your heart and all your soul. You know what Joshua was saying? It's not about taking possession of the land anymore. It's no longer about the land. Now the battle is going to be for every square inch of your heart and every square inch of your soul. Isn't that the battle that you're in? We talk about a civil war. Isn't there sometimes a civil war going on in your heart between the spirit that wants to obey God and the flesh that wants to please itself? If you're like me, there's a war going on for my heart all the time. And so the heart is vulnerable. You have to protect it. That's what Joshua is saying here. And then this, accusations are divisive. Avoid them. Now, up until now, it's been a nice story. In verse 10, it's going to get nasty. Notice in verse 10. When they came to the region of the Jordan that is in the land of Canaan, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh, those were those eastern tribes, they built an altar. Underline the word altar in verse 10. They built an altar by the Jordan, and it was an altar of imposing size. So? So? Here's the problem. If you understand God's regulations on worship, there was to be only one place of worship that provided exclusive access to God. That altar was in a place called Shiloh. Now, if I had the map back up, you could actually see Shiloh was exactly geographically centered among all the tribes the center of Israel was the place of worship and here the two and a half eastern tribes built their own altar that was a problem and I want you to see the accusation that was made was one of idolatry look in verse 11 and the people of Israel heard it and they said behold the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the people the half tribe of Manasseh have built an altar at the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region about the Jordan on the side that belongs to the people of Israel and when the people of Israel heard it the whole assembly of the people of Israel gathered at Shiloh to make war against them They declared war on the two and a half tribes that went over on the other side of the Jordan. Listen, just days earlier, everybody was fighting with one another, for one another. Now they are declaring war against one another. And so the accusation was made that these Eastern tribes had drifted from the theological center, and now they're making their own altars, which is equivalent to idolatry. That's how serious this accusation was. So, we're going to learn some lessons here about how to prevent a civil war, because what they do next is very, very important. Here's what we're going to learn for us as well, lessons from Joshua 22. The first thing is this. If you're going to prevent a civil war, you have to keep the main thing, the main thing. Albert Moeller is the president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. He has written a book in which he has talked about something called theological triage. Do you know about triage? If you've only got one doctor... And into the emergency room walks a man with a gunshot wound and a woman with a broken arm and a boy with a scraped knee. Which one do you treat first? You just did, the, you just did medical triage. Triage is a French word that means to sort. What you have to do is you have to decide which one of these is of first-order importance here and who's going to get the most urgent care. Well, when we talk about issues of doctrine, differences that we might have doctrinally, even within a church, within denominations, even within a culture, we have to do some theological triage or we will always be declaring war on one another. And so you kind of have to do some sorting out of some different issues that actually we might have significant differences over. These people had significant differences. One group said there should be only one altar. The other group said, yeah, we can build another altar. How do you do theological triage? Well, in our setting, we have to think about first order issues in terms of the most important doctrinal truths that we teach and we preach around here all the time. Things like the deity of Christ. Is Jesus God or not? If you don't believe he's God, that's a problem that's a first-order theological problem that's going to divide us things like the inerrancy of Scripture or the resurrection of Christ or justification by faith alone in Christ alone those are first-order theological issues and that's the reason we have Protestants and Catholics because 500 years ago we had some differences about the nature of justification, how a person is declared righteous before God. That is the main thing. That's something we should fight over. But other things are of less importance. Second-order issues of theological importance are things like the mode of baptism or whether women can serve as pastors or elders or whether spiritual gifts are of a miraculous nature all those things are important. We hold certain truths about those things. You can read our doctrinal statement. Um, We believe that women can serve in any area of leadership within a church except those that are reserved in Scripture for men. And our understanding, you read the New Testament, that the office of an elder or a pastor is reserved for men. And so those are issues that we might have differences over. And that may be the reasons why we have all the different denominations, because people tend to, go into their various tribes on those positions. But third-order theological positions are things that we could even serve in the same church, and maybe we have some differences about worship styles or church government or mission strategies or the timing of the rapture or what hairstyle Micah's going to use on a particular Sunday. All those different things are things like, I don't think I like. But you know what? That's not enough to divide us. We're not going to declare war on one another over secondary issues. And by God's grace, we're not going to allow the enemy to start things in here for us to to be fighting with one another. Because you know what the reality is? The world is facing a theological crisis. It's bleeding to death, waiting for someone to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. And if somehow we spend all of our times fighting with one another, we're not going to get the main thing to the people that need it most. And so we have to be careful. Here's the second thing. Don't listen or share gossip. Did did you see what we said there? The people heard about this. Oh, that's what they're doing over there on the other Oh, tell me more about that. They heard about it. So often, we can be prone to bend our ear to a piece of information that really is none of our business. And then we begin to jump to conclusions about what's happening and in our hearts maybe even declare war on what we the person that did that you know what gossip is gossip is sharing information with a person who is not a part of the problem or a part of the solution if you share information with a person that's not a part of the problem or a part of the solution you're a gossip and you are infiltrating the camp and could be sparking a civil war. So what do you do when you hear information? Somebody shares something with you? Well, now as soon as you get that information, you are now a part of the problem or a part of the solution. And if you want to be part of the solution, this is what you do. When someone begins to gossip with you, you just take your, you take your hands like this. Let's all practice together. You do this and you put them over your ears, and you scream at the top of your lungs, I don't want to hear it! And in doing so, you will prevent a civil war. Okay? And so, after church today, I'm just assuming I'm going to hear some screams out in the parking lot. As somebody tries to share a bit of gossip with you, and you are like, wait, I am not a part of the problem, I am not a part of the solution. If the person will not shut up, You grab that person and you say, we're now going to go with one another to the person that you were talking about and you're going to share this information with them. I'm not going to do that. Well, then I'm going to go to that person and I'm going to tell them that this person is going to be expecting a phone call from you and if they don't, we're going to come together with you because we're not going to allow gossip to start a civil war in our church. That's the way you prevent a civil war. And so here's another thing. Don't judge the motive. Maybe you hear information, but don't judge why a person did that. That's exactly what the Western tribes did. They judged the motive for why they built the altar. And this is a great piece of literature in Joshua 22. We're reading through this. We still don't know why they built the altar. We're going to find that out later. They actually had a good motive. But if you jump to conclusions and you don't do some theological triage... You can begin to cast judgment and spread rumors around certain situations that have no merit. Don't judge the motive. Don't jump to conclusions. And then this, seek to understand and restore. Husbands have to do this with wives. Mothers have to do this with children. We have to do this as pastors and small group leaders. Seek to understand and restore. I want you to see what happened. Look in verse 13. Then the people of Israel sent to the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh in the land of Gilead, Phinehas. Underline that word in verse 13. Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest. And so we're introduced to a new character in the story. His name is Phinehas. Phinehas was a priest. You know what the job of the priest was? The priest was a mediator between God and man. We don't need priests anymore because we have a priest. His name is Jesus. He's the true and the better priest, but the mediator between God and man. There's one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, the New Testament tells us. But Phineas steps in, and do you know what Phineas does? Phineas turns his vertical priesthood into a horizontal priesthood, and he becomes the mediator between the western tribe tribes and the eastern tribes. And I want you to know what Phineas does. He begins to try to seek to understand what's going on here and offers a way of reconciliation. Look down at verse 16. It says, Thus the whole congregation of the Lord... Um, what is this breach of faith that you have committed against the God of Israel in turning away this day from following the Lord and building yourselves an altar this day in rebellion against the Lord? And so Phineas goes right to the source. He asked him the question, what is going on? He was seeking to understand. Now, Phineas had received the facts about what had happened. They've built an altar. Was that, was that true? Is that fact? Yes, that was accurate information, but it was incomplete information. He had the facts, but he still didn't have the truth. Be careful when you have the facts and not the truth. So he goes on a search mission for the truth. He seeks to understand, and then finally look down at verse 19. But now, if the land of your possession is unclean, pass over into the Lord's land where the Lord's tabernacle stands. What he was saying is, come back. If it's too hard for you to follow the Lord on the eastern side of Jordan, then come back with us. He says, and take possession for yourselves, uh, take possession for yourselves, a possession among us. Only do not rebel against the Lord or make us as rebels by building yourselves an altar other than the altar of the Lord. Do you know what Phineas did? Phineas became a peacemaker. He said, Look, we'll share part of what God has given us with you if it will help you not rebel against the Lord. What a picture of a peacemaker. Do you have people in your family or people in your small group, people in your church that are out there and you pray for them and it seems like they're rebelling and it's so hard? You know what the heart of a peacemaker is? It's to say, come home, gather in, get closer to us. And as you are closer to us, we trust that you'll become closer to God. And it will be easier for you to love the Lord here. What a heart of a peacemaker. And in doing so, he prevented a civil war. Now, we got to keep going. We're almost done. But turn, uh, my Bible, you turn the page. Look at verse 21. When the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh said in answer to the heads of the families of Israel. They're going to give them the answer. Here's the point. Answers are available. Seek them. And so here's the answer. Love the answer that he gives in verse 22. The mighty one. God. The Lord. Is there any question about who they're talking about? And just in case you were confused, he says it again. The mighty one. God, the Lord, love this, He knows. Implication? You don't. You don't know what you're talking about. You have incomplete information, but the Lord knows the whole story. And here's the whole story. It says, let Israel know. Now that God knows, you should know. If it was in rebellion or in breach of faith against the Lord, do not spare us today. In other words, if we're sinning, we deserve to die. But we're not. Look down at verse 24. No. But we did it from fear that in time to come, your children might say to our children, what have you to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? Verse 26. Therefore we said, let us now build an altar, notice, not for burnt offering nor for sacrifice, but to be a witness between us and you and between our generations after us that we do perform the service of the Lord in His presence with our burnt offerings and sacrifices and peace offerings so your children will not say to our children in time to come, you have no portion in the Lord. Let me summarize what's going on. Why did they build the altar? They declare this altar is not for shedding blood and offering sacrifices. This altar is a witness. What is a witness? A witness is a person who tells a story so that the truth can be revealed. This altar is a witness. It's a big billboard. It's a signpost to point the next generation back to the true altar in Shiloh. We're thinking about the next generation. We want the young people to be as passionate about the Lord and as passionate about worship as we are, and we don't want there ever to be any division or anything to separate them from the true worship that God wants. And so we're not shedding blood here. We're not offering sacrifices. It's just a copy. It's a picture of where true worship really happens. Pure motive. Pure motive. Do you have a heart for the next generation to know the Lord? Do you have a heart for what are you what are you building so that the next generation would be pointed to the true place of worship? That's what they were doing. And so the answers were available. The, the answers were right there. One final thing. Alternatives are worthless. Abandon them. Alternatives are worthless. Ab- Abandon them. Look at verse um, 29. Far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn away this day from following the Lord by building an altar for burnt offering or grain offering or sacrifice other than the altar of the Lord our God that stands before his tabernacle. Verse 33. And the report was good in the eyes of the people of Israel, and the people of Israel blessed God and spoke no more of making war against them to destroy the land where the people of Reuben and Gad were settled. Last verse, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad called the altar witness, for they said, It is a witness between us that the Lord is God. Why were the Western tribes so concerned that there would be an alternative altar in Israel because they know, like we know, the human heart is always searching for an alternative to make peace with God. Do you understand the story of the Bible goes far beyond this story? And yet, this points to the reality that Jesus is the true and the better altar. Jesus is the true and the better priest. Jesus is the true and the better Phineas. That you and I, we don't have to go to some place in Israel to worship like they did. Because one day Jesus Christ came in the form of man and he was the sacrifice. His blood was shed so that you and I could be at peace with God. He was the mediator between God and man. And yet what does my heart so often want to do? It wants to think the cross is not enough. That somehow I have to build some other altar. That I have to trust in my intelligence or my... Good works or my religion. The human art is always trying to build alternative altars. And as we come to the place of worship today, every time we come to worship, before we come to worship the true and the living God, I have to abandon everything else I cling to as a substitute for Jesus Christ. It's a reminder that there is no other place to meet God than at the cross. And every time my heart is drawn away from the cross, I've got to drag it back and bring it back to the place of worship. How about you this morning? Are your relationships characterized by peace or by war? Maybe the reason that you are so often declaring war on others is because you've never made peace with God. And there's a war raging in your own heart. It's never been settled. Today, why don't you come to the altar, which is where Jesus Christ meets you. His blood was shed. Forgiveness is available for all those who will forsake alternative forms of religion to come and put yourself in right relationship with Jesus. And then you know what's gonna happen? because you have peace with God, it's going to spill over into every other relationship and you're going to find it much easier to have peace in relationships with other people. Let me ask you to bow your heads. and Before we stand and sing, would you just in your own heart think about those relationships that you have, husbands, wives, brothers, sisters, older, younger, more conservative, more progressive. And would you just commit yourself that I'm going to keep the main thing the main thing. I'm not going to judge motives. I am certainly not going to declare war on other people. I don't know about you, I'm so busy trying to prevent idolatry in my own life. I have very little time left over to declare on someone else's idolatry. Father, today we come and thank you that you've given access to you through the blood of Jesus. And we do come in a fresh new way to an altar of worship and praise. God, I pray for one here today that maybe their sin has never been settled because they've run to alternative places like religion or denial as a way to try to ease the guilt of sin. God, would you tear those altars down and bring us back to the place of true worship today? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.